0: There's a phrase at the end of verse 12 that I want to think upon. We'll read verse 12 just to get the connection. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. And it's that phrase I want to think upon for a moment or two. This evening, which things the angels desire to look into. Angels are no doubt fascinating creatures, spirit beings, very powerful beings at that. And we don't know exactly what they look like, but we imagine, like ourselves, they're made somehow in the image of God. In heaven, there's an innumerable company, of these created beings. John speaks of them in Revelation 5 verse 11 as numbering 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. They're absolutely perfect in holiness, and they're perfect in their service to God as they worship, serve, and obey him at all times. Those angels that inhabit eternity Never sin. But here's the striking thing. They never sin. They wouldn't know how to sin. Yet, in spite of our sin, and our tendencies towards sinful practices, God has set his love upon us to the extent that he has gone to the absolute extreme to demonstrate that love by slaying his only son and raising him up again. He never did that for any of the angels. Well, there are some references in Scripture that are an encouragement to the believer. For example, Psalm 34, 7 reminds us the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him. So, beloved, if you're saved this evening, you're in good company. You have a guardian angel watching over you. Psalm ninety-one eleven He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. Here's what we thought. If you have a guardian angel, and that other person has a guardian angel, if, as regrettably happens, somebody spreads a wee bit of gossip about you, or worse, if you're the one spreading the gossip, never, always remember, your guardian angel is going to report that To that other person's guardian angel, vice versa. Need to be careful with the tongue, don't we? Anyway, that's not our message tonight. But what is the thing about these angels? While they are somewhat strange and interesting to us, we are likewise interesting to them. They're curious, no doubt, as to what God sees in us. And this, this is a point that Peter. Brings out here in this chapter. He begins by recollecting how that we, that is those who are saved, are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. These have to be puzzling things as far as the angels are concerned. The gospel of saving grace is something of a mystery to them. They can't understand what would drive God, who is thrice holy, what would drive God to so love men who are bent on sin, to, uh, to save in the manner that he does. I mean, think of people like Saul of Tarsus. The man was a terror on two feet persecuting Christians, putting some in prison, causing some to be led to death just because he hated the gospel and hated the Christ of the gospel. That's only one individual and plenty like him. What would drive God to, to save a man like that and make him one of the greatest preachers this earth has ever known? Again, the song of the redeemed in heaven there's a song the angels can't sing because they, they, they've never had the experience. They don't fully understand what redemption is. Oh, well, they, they've, they've seen it all brought about, but they, they don't know anything about the experience of it. They never can. So there, there are things that we can understand that they would want to look into. They're anxious to learn about matters that we almost take for granted. But for a moment or two, I want to look at just a couple of simple things that that they might be curious about. Firstly, there's the thought of the cradle in the manger. Try and picture yourself as being in the company of the angels in glory. They've never known anything but the sweet bliss of that place that is so pure, clean, absolutely holy, free from any defiling thing. That's what heaven is. There's not even a hint of sin there. That's hard for us to visualize. No matter matter where we go on this earth, we see sin on every hand. So heaven, a place with no sin. And this is the environment that these angels abide in. Uh, All the sounds that that they ever hear are, are the sounds of praise resounding around the courts of paradise where all is light and all is perfect. But imagine what a stir there must have been when they learned that God was going to send his son down to earth to take upon himself human form and live among those men who wallowed in sin and hated their creator. Why why would God do that? Is it so that he can get to know his creation better? Well, probably sounds like a good idea. But then all those men and women down there on earth, I mean, day after day, they sin against their creator God. I mean, didn't Adam and Eve disobey God's simple command? There's one particular tree, you don't touch it. We all know what happened, don't we? It's like you put a notice on a, on a parked bench, wet paint, do not touch. You can be sure some youngster's going to go and stick his hand in to make sure it's wet. It'd be nearly be better putting up an advert, a notice, come and touch, come and feel. There's they'll do that anyway. It's just the rebelliousness of the old sinful nature. But consequently, as a consequence of Adam and Eve's sin, we as his descend- their descendants, we've all been born in sin, there you are know, a lot of people, out, in this, even in this province tonight, and they think, oh, well, I've never sinned. I, I don't do anything wrong. The one truth we need to get home to people's hearts is, beloved, we were born sinners. You know anything about children, you'll know you don't have to teach them how to do the wrong thing. Comes naturally, doesn't it? Why? Because we're sinners. I know. You have a wee one growing up, and maybe not even started to walk yet. It's an awful thing to look at that child and say, that's a wee sinner. Well, it's the truth we've got to face. Why would God want anything to do with such a race of people? And so now the angels are starting to get curious. But God explains he's sending his son down among men to die for them, to set them free from the awful the consequences of their sin. And what are the consequences of sin? Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. The wages of sin is death. Isn't that why we have death all around us? It's because of sin. This doesn't make sense to the angels. Why would God do such a thing? Now again, we've got to try and think like the angels here. They're, They're wondering, what sort of a scheme is this that God's planning? One minute heaven is ablaze with light. The next minute that light is shining on a cattle shed down there on earth. And the word goes around the streets of glory quickly. Away in a manger. No crib for his bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The stars in the bright sky looked down where he lay. The little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay this is something they must surely look into. And so they, they did. Down and down a great host of them came from the, the, the blissful surroundings of of heaven down to those Judean hills des, desiring earnestly to look into what was transpiring down there on planet earth. Now, what do you suppose astonished the angels the most about this great phenomenon? Is it not the fact that Nobody seemed to care. So the heavenly host raised their voices and awoke those slumbering uh, hills around Bethlehem, uh, saying, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Glory to God in the highest. But you know, apart from a few shepherds out in the fields, nobody seemed one bit interested It was a night of mixed emotions for the angels. For here, here was the one they knew as the Son of God. Sinless, absolutely perfect. And now he's just a tiny babe in arms. He has come into the world in such a fashion. It's truly amazing. But then the disregard shown by the world must leave the angels aghast. And so they returned to heaven. And then as you might imagine, well, other angels were saying, well, how did you get on? How did earth receive her Savior? Did people flock to see him? Did they have to uh, curtail the crowds in case somebody got hurt in the rush? Did they come from all over Judea to, to fall at his feet and worship him? And sadly, the report carries no such tidings. Only a handful of people came out to see him, they said. And they were shepherds who just happened to be out in the fields when they, they saw the heavenly host in the sky above them. Why, there wasn't even a place where he and his, his mother and Joseph could, could spend the night in any kind of comfort. And they ended up in a stable. And no, Herod hasn't abdicated his throne to make way for the king of the Jews. In fact, he's got so mad about the whole thing, he'd like to see the child slain. Can you believe it? And they're thinking, is this this what sin has done to mankind? To treat the Son of God with such disdain? The angels must have been flabbergasted at the whole spectacle. God becomes man in order to save man from his sin. Yet man rejects him. Can you make sense of it, beloved? The angels had a job figuring this one out. Do men really want to perish in their sin? Is that why they don't want them? Because it looks that way. How disrespectful. It's unimaginable. But beloved, listen. That is the very attitude that men are displaying in this 21st century. Man hasn't changed one bit since that sad time because Christ is still rejected by the many. Tell me, have you made room for him yet in your life? Remember, the reason he came was to save you and me. Without Christ, no hope for eternity. multitudes out there Live with this fanciful notion. I've lived a good life. haven't done anybody any harm. And when I die, I'll be up there somewhere. No mention of repentance. No mention of giving up sin. Trusting Christ for salvation. The people seem to live with this idea. It doesn't matter how you live. As long as you believe in what you're doing. Everything will be alright. That's not what's in the Bible. This book says, except a man be born again, you do not see the kingdom of heaven. You must be born again. But There's another area of life that these angels, the life of Christ, that is, that the angels may have desired to look into. That's the conflict in the wilderness. Thirty years have passed since the Christ of God came into the world. He's been busy growing up through childhood, youth, manhood. No doubt thousands of books could have been written about all the wonders he did during those years that aren't recorded in Scripture. But anyway, the angels watched and listened with close interest as the babe, the boy, the teenager, the man, walked among men, did so much good. But what gripped their attention at this stage? Remember, this is 30 years on. What gripped their attention here was the conflict between Christ and Satan. They, they knew now in heaven about the fall of man. So interest was growing now that a new conflict was about to take place. The Son of God was going now to meet with Satan in a waste howling wilderness after he had fasted down to the level of starvation. We read in Luke 4 and in Matthew 4 about our Savior's temptation in the wilderness. But I wonder if we fully realize the condition he was actually in at the time. His strength must have been all but gone. He had hungered for 40 days. And his physical life must have been hanging by a thread. And in that condition, an ordinary man would more than likely have given in to anything at the prospect of food being provided, irrespective of where it was coming from. Ah, but then, this was no ordinary man. This was the God-man. Lying behind Jericho is the Jordan Valley it lies well below sea level. And in the middle of it, there rises up that mount where this t- times of temptation occurred. The higher you climb that hill, the more aware you become of the, the barrenness of the surrounding countryside. There's just nothing by way of vegetation. It's all stony, dusty, dry ground. No grass to be seen on its slopes. They're, they're sun scorched. And in the middle of it, you've the... The Dead Sea, it's well-named, but nothing lives in it. But so it was. It was there in those conditions that Satan came against the, the dear Savior with three temptations. The same three temptations, as it happens, that he came before Eve with in the Garden of Eden, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. But because the Savior was now physically starving with hunger, Satan tried to tempt him to change some of those stones into bread or into some sort of meat. Now, he needed food at this time, but being God was able to resist the devil's temptation. Then, taking him to a high mountain, the devil showed him, the, the various kingdoms of the world. He said, I'll, I'll give you all of these if you'll just bow and worship me. But he was seriously underestimating the power of Christ to resist temptation and sin. How puffed up with himself Satan really was to think that the Son of God would ever bow to him. Who do you think he was? It's true, of course. Satan is the God of this world, but the Lord Jesus will never bow to him. In fact, one of these days, one day soon, Satan and all his hosts of supporters will bow before Jesus Christ and acknowledge that he is Lord. We're living in a day where the spirit of Antichrist is all around us. Good is evil today. Evil is good. Isn't that what we've reached? Isn't that where we're at, even in this society? People are going out of their way these days to be offended. Look at the, look at the, the awful sins that are on our statute books. Who, who would ever have believed that a place, we place like Northern Ireland, steeped in the gospel, would have an abortion bill that allows the murder of the unborn? They talk about conversion therapy these days. And then you have this gender business. If ever the the nation was in chaos, it's in chaos today. And the minds of children, innocent children are being warped by the awful garbage they're pumping into their impressionable young minds. It's all corruption. In my book, it constitutes child abuse. Society, I think we maybe even said this morning, this society is rearing children for hell. Can't realize, don't realize it. No fear of God today. This, our nation is bitterly opposed to Christ and his gospel. The third temptation, the devil brought the Savior to uh, the city where he tried to have him jump down from the pinnacle of the temple Because he wanted the saviour to jump to his death, but again his scheme failed. The angels, however, didn't get involved in those temptations, for it wasn't until the devil was defeated that they moved in to strengthen the now exhausted saviour. Matthew 4:11 reads, "Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him." Now they certainly were desirous to look into how he could triumph over the adversary, and especially under such trying conditions and circumstances. James 4 and 7 has a word for us. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. This this truly was the God-man. He had endured physical, moral, and spiritual temptation and had triumphed over Satan. How this caused great curiosity among the angels. And again, we might suppose that when when those ministering angels returned to heaven, their colleagues will be asking, well, who came to help him in his hour of need? Were any of his family members there? Where were his friends when he needed them? And when, when they'd be told he had to endure it all alone, they must have wondered, what sort of man is this? This Jesus. Or what sort of people are they down there on earth? Beloved, he's the one who endured all temptation and overcame the power of the devil so that he could bring that same victory to you and me. I mean, aren't we forever being tempted by Satan to one sin or another? How could we resist If Christ had been a failure. It wouldn't be possible. But because he overcame. He can give you that victory. If you'll allow him. Thank God he did resist. And that's why he can give that victory when temptation comes your way. The Christian can resist the devil in the name of Christ. And no. Blessed deliverance. But the unsaved, well let the unsaved take encouragement here in that he is able to deliver you when temptation comes your way. If you'll only just cast yourself upon him. You need to cry to God for grace to resist Satan and come and receive Christ as your great deliverer and do it while you still can. Beloved, far too many souls have trifled with this till they've missed it altogether. In Genesis 6 and 3, God says, My spirit shall not always strive with man. And if the Spirit of God brings you to feel convicted about your sin, that's the time you should be saved. If God stops troubling you about your sin, then you really are in trouble. If His Spirit leaves you, So too will hope. Beloved, don't mess with God. Let's move on here. Notice thirdly the the cloister in Gethsemane. Just outside Jerusalem, Mount Olivet is an enclosed garden. The place forms a natural retreat from the the pressures of life. It's a place where the the Savior just loved to withdraw himself uh, from his busy schedule. It's a very suitable place for anyone wishing to spend time in private meditation. And the Lord went there often to pray. Maybe it's not just as quiet today because there's there's traffic noise in the distance. But back then, it was so calm and peaceful. Mark 14.33 has it that at at that garden, the Savior took with him Peter and James and John. And began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. And that expression, very heavy, means deeply weighed down. Now, only a short time previous to this, he was singing a hymn in the upper room. Ah, but now he's weighed down with anxiety. Not not because of himself or his own circumstances, but because of your sin and mine. He was overwhelmed by the wrath of God against our sin. And he knew that he must bear that wrath in his own body. There's an old hymn that captures the thought like this. and says, O Lord, what thee tormented was our sin's heavy load. We had the debt augmented, which thou must pay. In blood. And the angels desired to look into this, for it was all beyond their understanding. Their beloved, so identified with all the horror and wickedness of our sin, as to be actually made sin for us. Now, he was never a sinner, but he became sin for us. He, He came close to death in that garden. Remember, he sweated drops of blood, hematidrosis, I think they call it, but he mustn't die there, not in Gethsemane. He must go to that hill crag of Calvary. It's not that far away from the garden, but he must make it to that hill. But again, angels ministered unto him and then returned on high. And, And again, we can just imagine those angels' conversation when they went back to heaven. Someone would be asking, well, who was there to help him this time in his anguish in the garden? Did his friends stick with him? What do you mean he was alone? Was it nobody there? Was, was there not a, a single one of, of Adam's fallen race to, to wipe the sweat of his brow or hold up his hand in support? Didn't he have his three friends with him? Oh, yes, Peter, James, and John, but they fell asleep. Listen, beloved. Here was the Son of God on death row. And it was your sin and mine that put him there. And have you fallen asleep? Is there nothing to you, beloved, that you're the one that should have been crucified, not him? He took your place, died for you. No wonder the angels are curious. How concerned are you, beloved, that the Son of God, who knew no sin, should go through all this for you? Do I deserve it? Certainly not. Do you? No. Which brings us in the fourth point to the cross of Calvary. Angels watched, listened as men in their kangaroo court blindfolded the Lord Jesus, punched him in the face, spat upon him, slapped him, crowned his head with thorns, plowed his back open like a farmer's field with a cat of nine tails. Oh, they proclaimed him guiltless. They condemned him nevertheless as though he were a felon. Marched him up that hillside and nailed him to a tree. And the angels waited. One word from him was all they needed. And he could have had a a whole legion of, he could have had thousands of angels to deliver him. One word was all they needed. And they waited. But the word never came. And there they stood on heaven's balcony, watching down in utter amazement as he took the scorn, the ridicule. They watched and waited, but he died without ever asking for their assistance. And they saw his friends come and take his broken body and lay it reverently in the tomb with their fragrant spices. They saw that heavy stone being rolled across the door when they The soldiers came to make sure nobody tampered with it. And earth went on through three sunsets and dark dreary nights while his incorruptible body lay in that crypt, dug into the rock face. But then it happened. The conqueror returned from the underworld, re-entered his body unseen by the guards, untouched by the faintest hint of decay. He shed the grave clothes, simply walked through that tightly sealed door and vanished. And then two angels came, probably Michael and Gabriel, broke the seal on that great stone and rolled it to the one side. Oh, not to let him out, but to let men in to see that he was already gone. And the two angels sat down and waited. What were they waiting for? Waiting to see all his disciples come to the tomb to see his glorious resurrection because he had told them he would rise again the third day. they didn't come. Well, a couple of women came. They were only coming with more spices to, to lay beside his dead body. They didn't expect to find him gone. What was wrong with these people? Didn't anybody believe that he would rise when he had said he would? None again, Two angels went back to heaven to report, alas, his friends are all at a loss. None of them came to see him risen. In fact, one of the women actually talked with him and didn't even recognize him. She thought he was the gardener and wondered what what he had done with the body. These angels marvel at the unbelief and the stubbornness of people's hearts. Do you believe it, beloved? Of course you do. But have you come to the place to, to where you put your dependence for eternity in this work of redemption that he did at Calvary? Or are you still rejecting him? Are you still saying it's nothing to me that he died for my sins? Do you for one minute think you'll make heaven by your own efforts? You know, a lot of people seem to think they don't have to worry about getting rid of sin. They just take their sin to heaven with them and enjoy the pleasures there. That's not going to happen. The angels desire to look into the cradle in the hay, the conflict in the wilderness, the cloister in the garden, the cross at Calvary. But lastly, there was the concealment. In the clouds, verses 11 and 12, Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you, by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. The angels are curious. You understand why why these things happened? But I put it to you, beloved. After all that Christ has done, the angels must be curious tonight, to wondering why you're still not saved. How many times have you heard the gospel message? You know you're a poor sinner. Not saying that to be offensive. It's a truth you need to face. You know you were born in sin. You know your sin is taking you toward that place called hell if you don't repent of it. You know that Christ has suffered in your place. It's not His will that you should perish, but that you should finish with sin. Repentance is called. And trust Him to be your Saviour. And the angels must be wondering what is wrong with people down there on earth? that they won't embrace this Savior and have done with sin. You know, when God came down among his people in the wilderness back in Old Testament times, he wrapped himself with a most unusual cloud. They, they called it the Shekinah Glory. That cloud sat upon the mercy seat in the tabernacle. That was back then. But now that cloud was back, swirling over the Mount of Olives. Forty days and forty nights have passed since his resurrection and now the cloud is just waiting to receive him and transport him back to glory. And the angels who had been read in the night sky to welcome his birth on earth now waited to receive the Savior back home. You know why? Because his work was done. And strangely enough, He wasn't alone this time. Something like 120 of his followers were standing there with him. And on that mount, he raised his hands and pronounced his benediction upon his people before he silently and surely began to ascend. As you might have guessed, two of his angels were standing by. But their word of glad assurance to the people standing looking up was, he'll be back again. And at that they too were gone. Those two went back and rejoined the great company on high who welcomed the Savior back to his place in heaven and saw him sat down upon his throne. He's seated now because the work is done. Oh, what a journey it had been for him. What an experience. And you know, the angels are still talking about it. Yet, down here on earth, it's so difficult to get people interested. The angels must stand aghast tonight that man's failure to finish with sin and believe the gospel is his amazing work of redemption, beloved. is going to be lost on you. Are you going to leave this meeting, this image of left every other one and say, ah, I know what the preacher says is right, but not not tonight. Oh, some night, I'll get saved someday." Maybe even no intention of getting saved. If that's the case, you're volunteering for hell. Now you're saying to yourself, oh, I'll, I'll get saved someday. It doesn't just suit me at the minute. Circumstances are just not right. Listen. Felix was faced with this same proposition trust Christ now or risk perishing in sin. He says, when I have a convenient season, he told Paul, I'll call for you. There's nothing recorded in Scripture to suggest that that convenient season ever came. Do you know why? Because God says, now. Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You know what it says here in Proverbs? Boast not thyself of tomorrow, If the Lord spares, tomorrow will be Monday. He says, boast not thyself of tomorrow. Thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. How true that is. How many have have left home, gone only a short distance. There's an accident. And they're out into God's eternity. It's happening all the time. Since this meeting commenced, beloved, somewhere in the region of 5,000 souls have left this life and are now in God's eternity. What if you're one of the 5,000 in the next hour? Where will you be? Listen, Christ has done everything possible and everything necessary to make salvation available to you. It's up to you to receive it by faith. You don't have to do anything except acknowledge you need it. The hymn writer put it like this, Just as I am, without one plea but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Will you come, beloved? What are you going to do with Jesus Christ tonight, 30th of July? What are you going to do? Because what you do with Jesus Christ in this scene of time, he will have to do with you in eternity. Is it going to make news in heaven tonight that some dear soul, listening to that poor preacher in cold rain, some dear soul has recognized I'm the sinner for whom Christ died. I'm going to trust Christ. Will that be the news in heaven tonight? Or are the angels going to be saying, There's another meeting gone, and that dear one has walked away still unsaved? Beloved, the ball is in your court. The Lord doesn't want you to perish. That's why He sent Christ to the cross. That's why Jesus Christ came into this world. None of us deserve it. But he did it for you. Because he loves you. You trust him for salvation. His promise is him that cometh to me, I'll know why he's cast out. Look unto me, and be ye saved. All oh, ye ends of the earth. The message is the same in Coleraine as it is in Kenya Christ for sinners. Your only hope. What are you going to do with him tonight, beloved? Well, listen. If you're concerned, something you're not clear about, and we haven't made it clear enough, well, we apologize for that. But I'd love to explain to you, show you from God's word, how you can be saved. Know you're saved. You can go out the door rejoicing. Put your head on the pillow tonight. And know that if you don't open your eyes in this life again, you'll open them in glory. It all depends on whether or not you receive Christ as your Savior. That's bound prayer. and I say if God has spoken to your heart you know what you need to do you should come tonight beloved come and trust this saviour let him save you by his grace let him fit you for heaven and go on your way rejoicing his promise is him that cometh to me I in no wise cast out. Get your sins dealt with this hour. Get under the blood and go on your way rejoicing as a child of God. Our Father I ask thee to take what's of thyself Write thy word upon every waiting heart. Oh, our desire would be, Lord, that that dear one who's been so long prayed for, and spoken to many times, that dear soul would find it easy now to come, take the Lord at his word. No matter what the circumstances, simply take the Lord at his word. Come and cry to thee for mercy. Trust thee for full salvation. Aye, may there be that rejoicing among the angels tonight. The sinners come, make their peace with God. Bless thy word to this end, we ask of thee. Part us in thy fear and with thy favour. Speak on to every waiting heart. Grant that this night Christ might be glorified in the salvation of the lost. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.